Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Sinead O'Carroll, and this week, how worried should we be in Ireland about the coronavirus? But before we start that, we want to let you know again about an exciting event we'll be hosting ahead of the general election. On the evening of Wednesday the 5th of February, just days before we go to the polls, we'll be recording The Explainer in front of a live audience at Crow Street in Temple Bar. We have brilliant guests joining me, including journalist at large Lee's Hand, Professor Gary Murphy, and Maynooth University's election guru, Adrian Kavanagh, and a couple of other surprises as well. If you would like to be part of our first ever live audience, please email your details, your name, and where in the country you're from to our producer, Aoife Barry, and you'll get her at Aoife at thejournal.ie. Now, onto something that many people have been probably a little bit afraid of delving too far into. The World Health Organization declared a worldwide public health emergency over the coronavirus, and England's chief medical officer has confirmed two cases of the coronavirus in the UK. The infection has spread to more than a dozen countries, and thousands of people have become ill in China, where it was first detected. Lots of people have likened the virus to SARS, um, but how worried should we be? I have two of the best science communicators in the business in studio to give us just the plain good facts. Noteworthy's Maria Delaney is back with her expertise and is joined by Assistant Professor in Immunology and Biochemistry at Trinity College, Nigel Stevenson. Thank you both for being here. Maria, simple question to start off. What exactly is the coronavirus? So coronaviruses are a family of viruses and they typically cause disease in mammals like us and birds. And um, unfortunately, we often pick them up from animals. um, And this is the case with the novel coronavirus, which is temporarily being called the novel coronavirus until it gets an actual name. Um, That was also the name of SARS before it got um, the name SARS. And it was called novel SARS? Novel coronavirus. Oh. Because it's also a coronavirus. Oh, how interesting. Okay. (laughs) And obviously viruses are microorganisms and they cause colds and flu and um, they replicate inside our cells. So they're not actually technically alive and they're much smaller than bacteria. So I suppose that's kind of a general overview of what coronaviruses are. They're actually a family of viruses and this is one particular type of coronavirus. So eventually will be named something else. I presume so. Yeah. Maria, can you give us the timeline, please? So we first heard about the virus a month ago, so it was the 31st of December, but we've now heard that there were actually cases earlier in December um, that have come out since then. And um, it was reported that a cluster of 27 pneumonia cases um, in Wuhan in China. And soon afterwards, um, they identified that these were actually caused by the novel coronavirus. What exactly happens to the body, Nigel, if you pick up this coronavirus? Yeah, so if you uh, get infected with any virus, you have an immune response. Um, One of the main molecules that we're interested in in Trinity is called interferon. And as soon as you get a viral infection, you start producing interferon. And interferon acts on the infected cell and the surrounding cells uh, to get rid of the virus and also protect other cells from getting infected. And interferon upregulates hundreds of antiviral genes. They've actually called all these genes the interferome, and they think there's 500 to 600 different genes that target viral replication, the way viruses get into cells, etc. And pretty much if you have a strong interferon response, you will clear a viral infection. However, different viruses destroy 
the interferon response and other things in our immune system. And we call this viral immune evasion. And that's what we're looking at in our lab. And we're discovering that uh, a spectrum of viruses use a conserved mechanism to block this interferon signaling, blocking these antiviral genes from being induced and therefore allowing themselves to replicate and infect in patients. And that's one of the things that we believe MERS and SARS, uh, which were previous coronaviruses uh, that were discovered and there was outbreaks in the past, are actually targeting the interferon pathway. And we now believe that possibly the novel coronavirus does this also. I think mo most people, Maria, won't be afraid of the words viral infection. They'd be like, oh, yeah, I've had a virus. I've got over it. You know, well, this is killing people. What are the what is killing people once they pick this up? People are getting, it's similar to cold and flu, so you get a cough, um, you can be sneezing, um, it can result in pneumonia, which is why some people are dying, especially um, people who are more elderly or are vulnerable to those kind of infections. And I suppose one of the reasons that it is that people are worried about it is that people have never encountered this particular virus before. Um, and the spread of any new virus is worrying because doctors won't know, don't know exactly how it'll affect people. So the more people that it infects, the more they'll know about that. But that's not necessarily a good thing either. And there's also no vaccine or treatment for it as yet. And there isn't actually a quick diagnostic test for it either. Um, they're probably going to try and develop that using antibodies. It's a different type of test, but all of those um, things are are hindering kind of treatment and that kind of thing. So that's why new viruses are particularly worrying. And how is this one spreading? We obviously know it's spreading quite quickly and it's going, you know, it's in dozens of countries already. So at the moment, it's spreading through droplets. So it's if you sneeze or if you cough, a droplet might come out of your lungs or out of your nose or whatever, and that's how it's spreading. So it's actually quite limited at the moment. So you have to be in quite close contact with people who have the infection. Um, I suppose scientists and doctors are worried that it might mutate or change and become airborne. And um, more infectious diseases like chickenpox are airborne. So that means it can spread through the air for longer distances. And that's when things can get a lot worse. So it's kind of like the rule of washing your hands, making sure you're sneezing into your elbow. That kind of would keep you protected from the coronavirus? Uh, those are, are ways to stop the spread of it. If you feel like you have a respiratory infection, to uh, make sure that when you sneeze, you sneeze into your elbow. Uh, if you use a tissue, to make sure you bin that or flush it away immediately. And to wash your hands with soap and water and use alcohol sprays or alcohol wipes as well. Really, we know that these viruses uh, move in droplets. So when you sneeze, uh, somebody who could be a few metres away could be infected through that. Uh, viruses, as uh, Maria also said, viruses can live outside the body. Um, and we say live, they're not really alive. They only become alive when they get into cells, but they can survive uh, for periods of time on surfaces. And that's why we're always told to be careful uh, about touching stuff and make sure you wash your hands regularly. Is that why we're seeing fears about products being exported from China, that there could possibly be droplets on those exported goods if they're, you know, whole goods? I suspect so. Uh, the WHO answered a question on that and said that there would be no risk if you order something from China, um, that there would be uh, any type of uh, 
infection risk on that. And that's because if you order something from China, it's going to take uh, probably at least a week to come. A virus wouldn't be able to survive that length of time. Um, for you, is this, you mentioned SARS and MERS already, how similar is this, um, n- not just in the virus, but in how it is kind of happening right now and the, and the speed of the news around it? Yeah, so um, SARS broke out in 2002 and it was quite a slow number of people got infected. Uh, we we're not 100% sure if that was because uh, SARS was kind of the first coronavirus that uh, went viral as such, and it wasn't reported as quickly. Uh, MERS virus broke out in Saudi Arabia in 2012, and it again, it has only infected two and a half thousand people about since 2012, whereby this probably we think is about 7,000 people already within six weeks, and a suspected 10,000 people are uh, also infected. Um, so, and it has a really the one of the key things about this is that uh, the clinical response: 20% of those people have severe uh, respiratory uh, clinical um, symptoms, and that uh, is is concerning because will these people get even sicker? Maria, I mentioned in uh, my introduction that there has been human to human transmission. You mentioned the animals in your first answer. Can we just go back there and dive into where exactly we think this virus has come from? So the exact cause hasn't been established yet. It is very early days, in fairness, um, to the scientists and researchers. But Uh, They've done amazingly quick um, genetic analysis and they've released the genome. And from genome analysis, they think um, it originally came from bats. And that was also the case with SARS and MERS. It originally came from bats. Um, The case with, and actually it was just released in The Lancet this week, that that research. Um, I suppose the case with SARS, um, it went from bats to another animal called the civet cat. Um, and then it's kind of like a weasel-like animal that they sell in food markets in China. And then it was passed on to humans from that. And they think that's probably the case in this case, um, because it was this, apparently a seafood market that originated from that also had some live animals. So they think maybe bush meat or something like that was infected from the bats originally and then passed on to humans. And then from there, um, it went from human to human. And do they go back further? Do they try and find out how the bats initially got it? Or is that something that might be done in the future? Um, It's a really good question. Generally, uh, we go as far back as the bats. And uh, (laughs) And stop there and run out of the cave. (laughs) Unfortunately, it's a really great question. And we're exploring that now because we're thinking about this a lot. The the amazing thing about bats is they can carry lots of these viruses but don't get sick themselves. And so researchers are actually trying to look at why do bats not get sick? Uh, and is that something we can learn from? Uh, the bats will, we suspect the bats uh, bite these animals. And in the case of mares, uh, it was Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome. It broke out in a ca- from one case in Jordan, and then the main outbreak was in Saudi Arabia, and then the Middle East, and the second major outbreak was in 2015, I think, in South Korea. Uh, it came from bats originally that we think may have bitten and passed on the virus to camels. And people in the Middle East... Uh, 
possibly had been uh, drinking something like uh, camel milk that was unpasteurized, but also uh, the camel shepherds would have been living in close quarters with these animals. So a sneeze or any other really bodily know. fluid. We were just saying that uh, I'm not. We're not sure if camels. Uh, sneeze, uh, but you maybe. would imagine they yeah, probably do. I would say they do. <laughs> but I suppose some of the other um, diseases that bats pass on are is Ebola and rabies. So there's a huge spectrum of diseases that um, are carried in bats. So when we say animal to human um, transmission, it's not like vegetarians and vegans are safe. There can be lots of different ways that a, a human, an animal to human. Um, transmission can occur. Yes, absolutely. So these are respiratory infections and we know that they're in droplets. So they're, uh, it's, you don't have to be eating meat. Possibly we think the original transmission was from meat, but uh, that's, it's very hard to prove uh, the exact origin. However, we do know that the, the civet cat, uh, which is a wild cat that they eat in certain parts of um, China uh, definitely had the SARS virus. In terms of if you are a well person and you've picked it up, there could be a high likelihood that some people have the coronavirus and aren't displaying symptoms. Is that correct? Yeah, they found that um, you can be uh, have it silently or else it, there is a kind of a period from when you pick it up to when you get symptoms and you can be contagious or infective at that point so you can pass it on to others. Um, this is the case with other viruses as well. There is a kind of an incubation period where you have the virus, but you're not showing any symptoms, but you can pass it to others. So I suppose it's, it's a risk in terms of spreading the virus to others. And you wouldn't pick that up necessarily with um, scanning temperatures or fevers and things like that. So I suppose that's one risk of the measures that are being put in place in airports. Yeah, because that to me sounds like the most worrying part of it. So how do people in your field or in the preventative fields deal with that? Um, really this asymptomatic without symptoms uh, situation, they're not 100% sure if this is the actually true. I think there's debate on that. Um, really, if you know that you have been in uh, China and you fly back to Ireland, you know, we're recommending, uh, the government are recommending that you do self-quarantine yourself. Um, so you need to be careful. Uh, but you're right, it's a very difficult uh, situation. We don't know how long the incubation period is for sure yet. Some reports are one day, some are 14. And there may be a spectrum in in people because everybody responds to viruses in different ways uh, that we're investigating, of course, as, as a viral immunologist I'm investigating. How is the world, we've mentioned the WHO a couple of times, how is the world reacting to this virus right now? What's being done? Well, I suppose in Wuhan, which is the epicentre of the virus, um, it's effectively under quarantine. There's um, all transport has been shut down. Um, and also <clears throat> three nearby cities have the same um, measures put in place. And um, the Chinese New Year Festival was also cancelled because of this. Um, I suppose one of the issues was the amount of travel within China and around the world by Chinese people because of the New Year festivities. And that was, um, I suppose, one concern when people were coming back during the week um, about the spread. Um, I suppose major airlines um, have stopped flights, such as British Airways, have stopped flying from the UK to the entire of China. 
um, and other airlines have limited maybe their flights. And at the moment, people are being brought home um, from China um, by the UK, France, Australia and Ireland are actually working with French authorities, I think, to bring back some Irish people. It's funny, like the measures are, are different depending on where you're coming back to. So Australians are being flown back to an island for two weeks. And the United States, they're being temporarily housed on an airbase in California for two weeks. So it just depends. And the Department of Foreign Affairs yesterday began advising Irish citizens against all non-essential travel to China. And then depending on the colleges, some colleges are bringing back students, they're cancelling trips. Um, actually, we were just in Trinity there and they're saying that the, the two-week quarantine period isn't actually necessary um, if you don't have any symptoms and if you weren't in contact with anyone, if you were coming back from China. So it depends on where you're going to or where you're coming from. That island you know, sounds like reality TV dream or something <laughs> outside of Australia. One of the things we've seen Corona uh, after the, the news of the coronavirus, Nigel, is that face masks started to sell out everywhere. Yeah. Is there a function for face masks in fighting um, these types of uh, illnesses? Yeah, it's a really great question because uh, do we wear a face mask or not if we're flying, etc., or we think we're at risk? Uh, face masks are really important, especially for clinicians or uh, healthcare workers. And if you believe you may, there may be somebody who has uh, the novel coronavirus, definitely uh, a mask should be worn as some sort of precaution. The actual uh, mask may not protect you against the virus. The viruses are extremely small and could probably get through that. However, we know the viruses uh, are transmitted in water droplets. And so a water droplet is bigger uh, than the virus and could definitely be caught in the uh, mask. One of the, there are studies to show that wearing the mask as well makes people think twice about touching their face. And these viruses uh, love to infect our cells that line our um, respiratory tract called epithelium or the epithelial cells. And so if you have the virus on your hand and touch your eye or touch your inside your nose or touch uh, your mouth, potentially you could infect. So the, the mask will stop you uh, doing that and maybe uh, the number of times that you might actually touch your face. So getting a droplet on your hand won't necessarily give you the virus, but getting it inside your body somewhere, so inside your mouth, inside your exactly. eyes, your ears... Okay. Yeah, I suppose one Sorry of the, other for the gross <laughs> image there, everybody, but just yeah. get, making sure. One of the other things with masks is people often don't wear them properly. So um, that's one of the reasons why they're often not effective is because people don't put them on tight enough or don't put them on over their nose and just have them over their mouth. So that kind of thing. So if you are wearing a mask, um, just look at the instructions and actually wear it properly. And you probably need goggles as well. If you were in Wuhan, I'd be wearing goggles. Uh, if you're in Ireland... I, I wouldn't recommend that you need to wear goggles yet. And just so everyone's clear, neither Maria or Nigel is wearing a face mask either, just <laughs> in case you're worried and listening. Um, we've mentioned a vaccine. The WHO said all uh, research and development uh, teams across the world should be looking at creating a, a vaccine. How quickly can that be done? Do we have precedent on how fast a vaccine for this could be made? So it's very hard to 
know how long a vaccine may like some vaccines take months some vaccines take years um like we're still in uh, clinical trials for vaccines for MERS um so and that that was outbreak in 2012 so it just it depends on how long it takes um if you put a huge amount of effort into the vaccine development like the entire world research trying to do it and had a huge amount of money this process is sped up a lot quicker but you have to still make sure that the vaccine's effective and the vaccine's safe before it's rolled out in humans so it does take a long time I'd say a lot of people now are worried about the plans that they have to currently travel, be it to Finland, um, you know, Australia, places where, you know, they've heard that there might be danger. What should they do or is there any good advice for that? Um, really, just be vigilant. I don't think uh, if I was going to those countries that you described, uh, I would be worried about it. Um, if I was, uh, the the re- uh, the recommendation uh, is no non-essential travel to China, um, and I think that is probably good advice at the minute. Uh, that we know Maria mentioned about the flights have been cancelled, etc. British Airways, I think Lufthansa uh, and probably others by this stage have cancelled their flights uh, to mainland China. Um, and that is to protect their staff as well. Uh, you know, they're working in an airplane and if there are potentially infected people on the plane, it's not fair that they have to work in in that potentially risky condition. We're going to bring it back to Ireland now. Um, my colleague Michelle Hennessy was with the HSC to ask questions about how prepared Ireland is and how or what we should be doing here to make sure that we are protected against the coronavirus. I'm here with Dr. John Cuddy, um, who is the director of the HSE's Health Protection Surveillance Centre. Thanks for joining me today. Am I right in saying that you've been making inquiries around some cases? Absolutely. We've been working uh, in the HSE to raise awareness among the public and uh, also particular groups and among our clinicians across uh, GPs, hospital clinicians, ambulance and public health, so that if somebody has respiratory symptoms and they have travelled from Wuhan in the last 14 days, we're asking them to phone their GP rather than turning up in person so that they don't risk um, passing on infection to other people. We advise that also with influenza and other um, contagious conditions. And the GPs have been issued with step-by-step protocols and they would uh, assess the person and uh, take the necessary steps. But in the vast majority of cases uh, so far, that has just involved uh, reassurance and no cases have been have had to be escalated to date. Some of the reporting around this um, might be quite alarming for people and, and people might be worried. So do people in Ireland need to be worried about it? What's the, the risk here or the likelihood that we will have a case? Well, the European Centre for Disease Control and Prevention have done a risk assessment and what, what they as, uh, assessed was the likelihood of a case being imported into a European country from elsewhere and they um, found that risk to be moderate but in relation to the risk of somebody in Ireland now uh, catching this virus there have been no confirmed cases of novel coronavirus in Ireland and the as I mentioned somebody uh, who has the system, uh, symptoms would also have to have travelled from Wuhan province in the previous 14 days. So um, 
if there were to be a case in Ireland in the future, health professionals will aim to contact anyone who's been in contact with that infected person. And uh, if someone isn't contacted in that scenario, they would be reassured that they're extremely unlikely to catch the, this novel coronavirus. But in summary, I suppose the likelihood of catching this coronavirus in Ireland at the moment is extremely low if somebody hasn't travelled from Wuhan province in the previous 14 days. We've seen um, the strain that the flu season this year has put on the health system in general. Um, And there are people who are now worried, you know, even if the likelihood is moderate, that if if we do have an outbreak here, we have a case here and it spreads and there are lots of people who have it, the health system here won't be able to deal with that. Are you confident that we would be able to handle it? Yes, I'm very confident that the plans we have in place are robust and that we will be able to handle it. Um, The... Uh, likelihood, as I mentioned, of um, having a case uh, in Ireland is uh, moderate and the um, level of awareness now among clinicians um, is high and uh, any um, body who's concerned that they have the symptoms and travel history within the past 14 days from Wuhan province in China, when they phone their GP, they would be uh, risk assessed over the phone and um, the GPs would take the necessary steps. Just one last question um, and it came up during the the press briefing there um, is about in circumstance where there would be some kind of an outbreak and people needed to be isolated. Um, We obviously don't have enough individual isolation rooms so how would that system work if we had a larger outbreak? Well, All the receiving hospitals in Ireland have isolation rooms and uh, were we to have a case isolation of the novel coronavirus case would be prioritised and in addition if we were to have a case uh, in the future the adherence to the infection prevention control precautions that we have circulated out across the hospitals um, and GPs would make it very unlikely that we would get transmission and secondary cases from that uh, individual case. So I think that's kind of a good settler for us here to not be as worried. But I think when you say things like global pandemic, people do think of, you know, I guess, extreme, they think of the Spanish flu, which I'm going to say my producers put down on our list to talk about, Um, but probably more like the MERS and SARS. So like what, like we already have a lot of deaths. What death rates are we comparing it to? What have we seen so far? Well, I suppose the Spanish flu was a worldwide pandemic and we're not there yet with coronavirus. Um, If you compare it to SARS and MERS, it's probably more similar because they are also coronaviruses. Um, SARS um, happened in 2003, as Nigel said. It affected 23 countries in the end, more than 8,000 cases and caused 774 deaths. So it had a death rate of about 10%. Um, MERS happened in 2012. It's still reported every now and again. It hasn't been eradicated um, yet. Um, there's a death rate or a death rate of around 36% on MERS, which is really, really high. So there was around 2,500 cases worldwide and 919 deaths. Now, at the moment, um, they're saying the death rate for the novel coronavirus is around 2%. This is, it's very widely varied. It's hard to know because some of the milder cases mightn't be getting picked up and some people who are very, very sick could still die. So it's very hard to know. It's too early really to tell at this stage. But um, so it's very hard to compare to one outbreak or another. Has SARS been eradicated now? Uh, We haven't had any new SARS infections. um, And 
Uh, MERS, as uh, Maria mentioned, there are still infections happening every so often. Uh, however, there are two uh, vaccine trials and they're in uh, phase one and phase two uh, trial for MERS. And so we're hoping there will be a vaccine for MERS uh, in the near future that could protect us against that. And vaccines for this coronavirus only if research and development happens in the next while. Exactly. So um, because this is a, a, such a, a big outbreak and, and China uh, have a great you know, research infrastructure as well, uh, but also we have funding from all around the world uh, and there are groups, uh, research groups, uh, networks working on vaccines and there are about, uh, there are about three different uh, vaccines that they're trying to develop on this and we hope that uh, within either between uh, three months to a year or maybe longer, uh, we could have vaccines for this. Thanks for that, Nigel. And thank you, Maria. I am going off to tell everybody now that the coronavirus is actually a family of viruses. That's my favourite fact from today. Uh, Thanks for coming into The Explainer. Thank you for listening to The Explainer and a big thank you to Maria and Nigel for all their work on this episode. If you enjoyed this chat and learned something along the way, we have loads more for you. Check out our back catalogue where you'll find episodes on the Drogheda feud, Harry and Meghan leaving the royal family and for the week that's in it, lots and lots of Brexit stuff. This episode of The Explainer was brought to you by executive producer Christine Bowen, producer Aoife Barry and assistant producer and tech operator Nikki Ryan. If you are enjoying the episodes, please leave us a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. And more importantly, please share with a friend who you think will enjoy them. Thank you and catch you next time.